And we are back with another episode of Ladies First. I'm Corey. And I'm Elizabeth. And Sahar. Yeah, we have a full <laughs> house today. Elizabeth and Sahar are both here because we're talking about something that we have very strong opinions on. Yes. One of you two want to take over and explain what we're talking about? Sure. So... <laughs> And she, but she says strong opinions. We have strong opinions about everything. So really, this is just one <laughs> we of the have very strong really, opinions on really this. gets us going. So yeah. the really cool thing about social media is that you can make friends and you can talk to creators of your favorite TV shows or web comics or video games. But then on the flip side of that, because social media makes people so much more accessible, we've come across this problem where in fandom and just social media spaces, people like the fourth wall no longer exists. And because of that, people find themselves saying um, things they would tell their friends, maybe, but not people they actually know. So we're just talking a little bit about that and how sometimes the fourth wall should come back. Well, probably <laughs> a little more than sometimes, but. <clears throat> <laughs> All the time. Um, so I remember, this is from a cracked article probably about 10 years ago, it was one of John, Cheese art- John Cheese's articles. Mm. And. The article was actually about how he plays World of Warcraft with his with his kids. But um, he was talking about how the internet is still a relatively new social environment. And he's like, for some reason, everybody defaults to asshole. Mm-hmm. And so his theory was that because we aren't used to an environment in which our faces and our names are not, you know, immediately apparent in some way, shape or form, that this actually caused people to act worse than they would in real life. It's the John Gabriel greater internet fuckwad theory. Yes. But the interesting thing that I found about how this has evolved over time, because I originally thought that this was a good theory, except I don't think it holds water anymore because with Twitter, uh, people actually do have their real names and their real faces attached to the accounts, especially celebrities or people who are important or think they're important who are verified. And yet, the behavior doesn't seem to have changed that much. So it appears that perceived that perceived anonymous status was not the thing holding people back. I think, pers- like from what I've seen, when you see their face and you see their name, and you see them, <clears throat> mind you, this is just what they're choosing to share. This is not any kind of reflection of their actual day. This is just shit they're choosing to share. Like, yes. their highlight reel. But you see that, and I think it kind of creates this false sense of intimacy that you know this person in their day-to-day life. You know what it might be? Is, if you think about it, photographs are something that have previously throughout history been the exclusive purview of family photo albums. And so it's something that's already intimate, sort of, or coded as intimate. So when people, like, follow you on Twitter and they see you posting random stuff like, going to the grocery store in sweatpants... It makes them feel more familiar to you than they probably should. But, and I, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, too, and I think about, in context of, like, in the last year, like, the fandom creators, like, writers of TV shows and things like that, the ones that get the most of this, I mean, obviously it has a lot to do with the usual, like, harassment, usually women, people (laughs) color, all that stuff, but it's people who post a lot or a lot of people who do, like, behind the scenes while we're filming this, or there are people who already have conversations with their followers and so then it makes it like for people who follow them or people who are just jumping into their mentions it makes it seem like oh well, we already know all of these things and so this person is opening themselves up to whatever I want to tell them even though that's not true because like Corey just said it's a highlight reel it's what they choose to share 
And we know a lot of people, you know, are very specific about what they share for precisely the reason of they're going to get randos yelling at them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, like, I, I hope I'm not bursting anybody's bubble by telling them this, but pretty much nothing that a celebrity posts doesn't go through a publicist first. Right. It's, actually, it's really unusual to have anybody who's... Except uh, any... for number 45. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, they have people who are supposed to filter, but they, they can't stop it. Anyway, right. but and that, but that also happens with real, real with with other with celebrities too, where mm-hmm. occasionally you know that some publicist was like, "Don't do this," and they're like, oh, "I'm going to do it anyway." Yeah. Well, and again, like I said, what we're seeing is their highlight reel, and this is the same thing for you know anybody who's going on Twitter, um, except you know maybe when you're going through a certain phase at a certain time in your life and you just share everything but for most people all we're putting on our social media is essentially our highlight reel or the my day is absolutely sucked and this is my safety valve and i am just venting before i murder everybody around me (laughs) it's not necessarily a true reflection of you know who we are i mean god knows i would be absolutely horrified if somebody decided they knew me on an intimate level and I'm not talking, when I say intimate, I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about intimate as in, I know you, you're in my inner circle of people. Right. <clears throat> he knows things about me. But God forbid people would read my Twitter and assume that they're one of my inner circle people and can talk to me that way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's kind of where the whole verified thing comes into play as far as, like, writers behind showrunners behind tv shows because we we talk a lot about tv shows on this podcast is like i personally have a private twitter and a personal twitter so the private twitter is going to be a little bit more unfiltered but because it's private i don't have to worry about people coming in my mentions and yelling at me inappropriate things versus all these creators they have it public because part of it is pr for their tv shows right like part of it is just knowing like this is where I'm going to post quick spoilers and stuff like that. And a lot of it too is like having the conversations with the fans and for smaller fandoms, it's a great way for them to get to know the people behind their shows. But then again, they're only getting to know a very specific, um, not manufactured, but, but the people who are putting, yeah, curated is a good word, curated version of these, um, people. And so when there are people who are just like, let me tell you all of these things, or I'm going to ask you these questions that are highly inappropriate, or I'm going to tell you things that are highly inappropriate. There's obviously a disconnect between like the person behind the screen doing it and realizing would they actually say this face to face to that person if they ever met. I think it's also compounded by the fact that it's almost mandatory now for creators and actors or even musicians you know somebody famous to have social media Mm -hmm. it's almost expected to where you can't have it i know they've talked before actors have um sophie turner has said she's gotten roles that should have gone to a better actress because she has more followers on her social media so Mm -hmm. you know it's not even optional anymore i'm sorry i said it's a factor now yeah, I mean, it's not even optional anymore to necessarily not have social media. So not only... The interesting thing... <clears throat> Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, um, the interesting thing about this is there really isn't any strong evidence that social engagement actually equates to purchases and our views. 
it's just sort of funny to me that this is an avenue that they chase so hard, despite it not necessarily having any proven effect. I think as far as, like, being in your state of mind, like, name recognition, it can probably help. But you can see, like, Elizabeth, when we were covering the Universal Fan Con Fallout, Fallout. <laughs> yeah. you know, they were... As- apparently on some level assuming all of their social media cred was going to translate into everybody buying tickets. Mm-hmm. And that's not what happens. That's not the real world. I mean, it's great for name recognition and brand recognizability, but it doesn't necessarily equate to sales. I mean, we can just look at all of these big brands like the Wendy's and the Burger Kings with all their memes. I mean, I'm not buying food from them because of their memes. Yeah. If I'm going to buy food for them, it's because they're inexpensive for whatever reason, but it's not because they're funny. I just think of that one image where it's like, how you do, fellow kids? And it's that old guy with the skateboard. Mm-hmm. That's what I think <laughs> every time I see something like that. And if you don't have social media, then people are really weird about it, especially the actresses on some of the TV shows that we follow and things like that. Because um, I can't really leave any actor examples, but usually a lot of women decide not to be on social media for very good reason. And so if they don't, the one time they are, everyone's like, oh, my God, the person's on social media. Go see what they're doing. Look at their story. What have you. Well, Natalie Dormer has said for a very long time that she didn't want to be on social media. Um, Daisy Ridley from Star Wars was on social media. And then when she realized the potential for just negative crap, she's like, nope, I didn't sign up for this. And she got off. Mm -hmm. Um, Kelly Tran, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, recently. I mean... We expect them to be on social media, and then we want to go ahead with this, well, you wanted to be famous, so flashback and lack of privacy is part of the package, and we just mm-hmm. become so entitled to their lives and keep rationalizing why they shouldn't deserve anything that we, if it happened to us, would absolutely have a meltdown over. See, right. the weird? Here's, here's the thing that I don't quite understand. So... We can agree that in the past, in most cases, celebrities did not read their actual fan mail. I mean, we we don't necessarily, or rather, not that they don't read read all of it, it's that they had somebody who sorted through it first. Right. Yeah. And I'm actually surprised, and I think part of it is because of sort of the personal nature of social media, because... If I were famous, I would be paying somebody 20 bucks an hour to just manage my social media and do nothing but that, just so I didn't have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And then I'd have a private account. Oh, and I'm sure some of them do, but the problem is, is people can tell, kind of. But mm-hmm. but can they? Like, here, here's here's the thing. Do they, they don't actually know anything about the celebrity. For all we know, Chrissy Teigen's entire online persona could be her assistant. You would have well, okay. no way People of knowing that. assume they can tell, and then they yes. hound the person. But that's my point, is that, like... Right. I feel like more celebrities should <laughs> consider this as an option, especially ones that tend to attract ire. But then again, also, you're like, how much hazard t- pay do I have to give my assistant for sitting on Twitter... And this is sort of like the South Park safe, safe safe space joke, but like honestly, that's something that some people need. So then you're like, well, who, what sucker do I have to pay twenty bucks an hour to read through all of the horrible Gamergate tweets? But on the flip side of that, I feel like there are definitely celebrities, and I think it depends on okay, it depends too on the network that you're working at, because someone who works at ABC, <laughs> like, and I don't mean this in like a negative manner, I just mean like someone who works at ABC 
like the whole popcorn and wine Shonda land night, you know, TGIT was totally based around the fact that there was going to be social media involvement because even though social media involvement does not equal ratings, very clearly it was a big deal that people were watching with Kerry Washington or yes. on the complete flip side, William Shatner being mad at Lucifer fans for wanting to renew their show. Those were totally tweets by him. So I think it depends on who the person is and like what they're doing. And then in context of my favorite channel, the CW, like their staff, their um, actors absolutely are tweeting to get people. And then again, a really good example, actually, Candace Patton tweeted, all she tweeted was just a quote from Maxine Waters. And people were like, we don't want politics. Like you're just supposed to be an actress. And it's like, no, that's her personal account. She can do whatever she wants. (laughs) Yeah, I, I her response was literally like, "This is my personal Twitter." Like, like what do you want to be? Yeah, bye. <laughs> I don't care like, what you think. Bye. <laughs> you can't win for losing because right. I know in the same count, Melissa Benoist gets a lot of crap for how infrequently she is on her right. social media. Right. You know, like she is. And does anybody TV. blame her? <laughs> <laughs> my God, the amount of crap certain. And I'm just going to say it, toxic members of the Supergirl fandom tweet the cast on social media. It's just absolutely horrifying. What's funny is she's still actually really big on traditional fan engagement because apparently she's actually been going out and doing signings while she's been doing the Carol King musical. Well, that's kind of tradition. Because it is. No, it, the thing is, is that just because it's tradition doesn't mean you have to do it because there are a lot of them who don't do it anymore because they're either just too big of a celebrity or they don't no. have time or they don't feel comfortable in that environment. Because, like, believe me, I've been to a lot of plays, and a lot of musicals, and, like, it's just, it's part of it is a personality thing. And so, like, when you see, like, Melissa Benoist who's doing, like, the, the signings, you can sense that she actually really enjoys this type of interaction, but this is a very enclosed safe environment to do it in and so she feels mm-hmm. comfortable like spending an hour after the musical signing playbills but never wants to be on twitter because well i feel like that's fairly obvious and and you know that's actually really interesting because i think it's totally different to be doing a signing at a musical or a play because it's not your main job quote unquote but then there's plenty of stars who we know get paid big bucks to be at these co- conventions right right and yeah. so it's really interesting to see like this Steven Amels and, like, the Supernatural dudes, like, they make so much money off these conventions because of autographs and what have you. And so they clearly are involved on social media a lot. So then where's that balance? And also, for toxic fandom across the board, for all fandoms, like, it's mind-boggling to me that people say these things to people, regardless if they're anonymous or not, because they would never do it in real life. Like, I mean, somewhat, because some people just have no shame. But <laughs> but most of these, you know, really insensitive or just, like, really asshole behavior, like, comments, if they were to see that person face-to-face, they would just be like, oh, my God, I love this actress, now I want their autograph, versus let me tell you all the things I've been tweeting at you because you don't actually know who I am. See, like, here's the thing. I've worked in service industry positions for quite some time, even in a managerial capacity. And so what... Like, I have some issue with people saying, like, you wouldn't say this to a random person, because honestly, if you've ever worked in, like, a low-level retail job, you've had people say things to you off the cuff, like, we're getting a divorce next weekend where you don't know how to tell Todd, or, like, (laughs) I just got diagnosed, it's like, I just found out my dad has cancer. Like, true stories, by the way. True stories. Uh, Like, the, the, because, I mean, okay, so that's the thing, right? If you're working in service, no one cares. But if you're a celebrity, they care about you because you're a celebrity. So I think that's See, where that part 
part comes yeah, in. Yeah, but it, but it's just weird to me how like there there's just a, such a large contingency of people who sure. don't have any sense of boundaries right, of right. what isn't like and and it, like the, the retail industry thing. It's sort of like the servant servant master relationship. I hate to make, to say that, but like that's how people treat wait staff and retail <clears> staff <throat> to treat them like servants. So in that case, it feels like they're just talking to a car. They're like talking to a robot and not a person because they don't see you as a human. Right. But it's like it's weird how this this particular quirk extends out into so many different contexts. In each context, it's slightly different but equally awful. It's like here here's a good example with the celebrities. So like I think you may have seen this on Twitter um, with a show where they had they had a they had a convention and the the um i think it was either the publicist or the agent the agency that handles mm-hmm. the celebrities had this big that's sh- the sheet where it basically explained like you can't tell the celebrities about personal issues especially sure. ones that are traumatic or disturbing to hear which is basically code for don't tell somebody about how they saved you from suicide because that is like what do you that's say a lot to, to dump on someone yeah, especially when it's, like, a hundred people doing it in a row, especially with, like, like if you watch videos of the Supernatural guys <laughs> doing autographs, every time somebody walks away from the table, you see their face just drop, because they're just like, holy fuck. Yeah. Well, and then we have the opposite side, and I just saw this, this weekend um, from an actress, and I'm not going to say who, but someone just, like, dropped into her mentions and accused her of like she's been about body positivity and like yeah well why do you photoshop all of your photographs I'm is like, it her what personally kind of gall does it take this person claims to be like one of their quote unquote real fans and i'm like what kind of gall does it take to just throw that out to somebody that you don't look good unless you're accusing them of not looking it good unless they're photoshopped Right. There's, there's a particular contingency of fandom. Star Wars is actually an excellent example of it, where <clears throat> it's just a bunch of people where you just have to like wonder, do you not actually enjoy being happy because your entire fandom revolves around talking about how much things that you supposedly like have plot holes or don't make sense or like you ever like just sometimes you take a step back and think about all those articles about like like why hero of this movie is secretly the bad guy and you're just right. Like, and you're like, okay, to a certain extent, these are fun, but sometimes you just have to wonder if, like, if this is your only engagement with fandom. I don't feel like this is a particularly healthy way to well, engage with things and supposed I'm, to bring you joy. <clears throat> I'm going to say this, and I know it sounds old-fashioned, um, but I remember, like, we used, when I was in school, we were still taught the golden rule, you know, and, you know, do unto others what you'd have them do unto you, or, you know, in um, Islam, I think it's... Um, do unto all men as you would wish them to have to do unto you and reject for others right. what you would have reject for yourselves or whatever. And almost every okay. single religion and even not, you know, even in atheism, it's the don't do to somebody else what you wouldn't want them to do to you. Right. And for some reason, especially with the advent of the internet, <clears throat> it's like you're a sucker if you still try to hold to that adage. I think it's because a lot of people genuinely don't do the right thing unless they believe that there will be consequences for not doing so. Well, and I was just about to say, actually, based what you kind of read my mind, it's like, I wish there was a way to tell if there's any kind of other personality characteristics that 
connect to that because I'm thinking about all of the times where I've ever had any interaction with celebrities because I've never been able to go to a con or anything that's always been on Twitter like I'm always just so excited that they've even liked my status or talked to me right like the guy the showrunner one day at a time has like read both of my articles and like tweeted at me and it's just like every time it happens I'm like Corey oh my god and I'm so excited like I can't even fathom being like I don't like your glasses like I don't even know what me think I would say to him because that's not who I am but like what kind of person is able to do, and I don't mean like all people who do extra, also why, I just, there's got to be some kind of like commonality or something that makes it so that so many people from all over the world across all different fandoms are just willing to be like assholes. It's just, I don't get it. See, I just have to laugh because like, no, because it's true. Because like, even with minor celebrities, like when I met Heather <laughs> Hogan, I was like, I was right. like, you're it's like your glee writing got me into critical analysis and then I never would have gotten into it if it weren't for right. your glee articles and after Ellen I didn't say hey I disagree with literally everything you have ever said about the L word fight me <laughs> which right <laughs> which honestly would be like would still be nicer I'm, than half the shit people say yeah as I'm like pulling off the blazer and the tie like alright we're gonna square up <laughs> but here's my thing is again like yeah, maybe people just don't want to do the right thing unless there's consequences. I, I don't necessarily know that I believe that, but there is this real lack of a fourth wall on wh- wh- would you go up to your boss and say this? God, no. Right. No. But there's then also... we, it goes a step further, and we start assuming because we feel this artificial intimacy with these creators and actors that we can start telling them what to do. Yeah. I think it's hilarious that fans think that anything they say on Twitter or or on social media has any impact whatsoever on the production of media. Yeah. I think Sahar and I have talked about this a lot, and I know she has a lot of opinions. Well, what I was going to say is I think, so, one fan... I don't think it has an effect. I think a lot of fans who are talking about... Okay, like, Barrier Gaze is a really good example. Like, there have been people who have seen the outpouring of anger and whatever emotion and been like, oh, hey, maybe I should adjust what I'm going to plan on doing with my characters. But I think that's totally different than let me yell at you about why I'm mad that my fan, my fan and uh, ship isn't canon. Like, those are yeah. two separate situations. And I think the latter is the one where it's like, if a, fa- if a fan, I mean, let me rephrase this. So if a f- bunch of fans are yelling about a ship and somehow the ship becomes canon, like, there's no way to actually connect that they're yelling to why it happened because it could have already been put in place. And I also think that a lot of this, like, all of the stuff we talk about on a bunch of our episodes is because people don't know how our shit's actually created. Like, no one understands what a showrunner does. No one really understands how the network's involved. And I think that plays a large part of we're going to yell at these people about episodes that were shot months ago were submitted to the networks months ago. And then when things change, we're like, oh, my God, it was because of us. And it's like... No, because the episode that just came out was literally just shot months ago. And I think that's a huge part of it, too. No, and like, and you see it with and, and something. I find it funny when I see it in video game production, especially especially major certain major big titles, like ones that are in production for like four or five years. And I'm just like, I gotta be honest. The core mechanics of that game, like the things that define how the game is going to run and how it's going to look, they were set in stone three years before you ever saw a title card. Right. You know, and like, there's like, it's or. Honestly, I feel like one of the biggest mistakes a company has ever made, there are two companies that made this mistake. It was Bethesda when they changed the end of Fallout 3 so the game continued after the end of it. 
with mm-hmm. broken steel, and it was Bioware caved to pressure and released a se- an extra ending to Mass Effect Three. Now, <laughs> granted, I give them credit. I give them credit for having the balls for instead of rewriting the ending, they just clarified the one they already gave us. Sure. But the problem was, is the lesson that this taught fandom was if you scream loud enough, the company will do what you want. Right. And, like, it's not a coincidence that this is the point at which video game fandom became untenable, especially on Twitter. Well, I think that totally reflects what's happening right now with all of these shows that are surprisingly being saved. It, I mean, yeah, like, fandom engagement is a big deal in context of, like, the companies can say, here are all the people who are yelling about it, but... Fandom engagement does not equal I'm going to subscribe to this new company and pay for it because half of those people who are yelling are the people who watch the stuff legally anyway. So exactly. everyone's like, well, if I yell about it loud enough or if I spend money on a banner or what have you, like, it might mean anything. But Netflix and Hulu know exactly how many new people they can expect to subscribe. And they know exactly how many people are going to be watching their shows because that's what the ratings are for. Exactly. Especially, like, or something like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, just, the problem with Brooklyn Nine-Nine is it was honestly on the wrong network. And Well, it was originally meant for NBC, and then Fox bought it from them, and that's why NBC wanted it back. But no one wants to say that, because it's a lot easier to be like, look at all these fans who, who saved the show, because it makes people feel good. Which, hey, I'm all about people feeling good. Don't get me wrong. But as someone who literally spends hours reading about this stuff, I'm always just like, oh my god, why can't any of you just open the internet and Google things? <laughs> well, some of it, some of it may be a maturity. Some of it's a maturity issue too. Is that because, like, honestly, when you're a teenager, or I'm going to say, like, under the age of 24, you sincerely believe that everything that you do in this sort of context has a tangible impact. It takes a certain amount of maturity and life experience to realize that while this is important to you, nobody but you cares that it's important to you. I'm laughing because I'm 24. <laughs> <laughs> You have to, but like you, but you're, you know, you can remember very recently that you were oh, 20 and you probably thought oh, that yeah. a lot. Yeah, you thought a lot more people gave a shit about your opinion than that they actually did. Of course. Well, okay, but here's my thing is, yeah, there's this big issue where they're tre- tweeting the creators, and we mm-hmm. can talk about that a little bit more, but. Who on earth, like, why are you tweeting the actors like they have any power in this? Because nobody knows how TV works. Because most of these people have never had jobs and don't understand that there is a specific power structure to any company or any endeavor. And the only people who have the ability to make decisions are people who are on decision boards. Like, I'm sorry, you can tweet Melissa Benoist until you're blue in the face or Candace Patton or whoever Whoever. else. It's not going to do anything except get them pissed off at you. You know, it just reminds me of, I remember, like, so um, so my best friend growing up was Catholic, and I remember she explained to me that the reason why they pray to Mary is because God doesn't listen to sinners, and she carries their prayers to God. And I always thought that was really funny. And so when people tweet at celebrities specific demands, this is sort of the thing that comes to mind. <laughs> Because they're aware that nobody in the higher-ups is going to actually listen to them. So I'm wondering if the logic behind it is Melissa Benoist will carry our hopes and prayers to the CEOs of CW. Well, and I think part of it, too, is people don't realize, like, different networks have different people that they, like, care about within their own ranks. So, for example, each network has, like, their one creator that they are all about supporting. And that person wasn't originally, like, always supported. I mean, I think of ABC as Shonda. I think of Berlante across a bunch of networks. Yeah. I think of um, Marlene Murphy. King 
at Ryan Murphy, Marlene King at Freeform, who just lost a show but is having another one come, so I'm pretty sure she's fine that Famous in Love is dead. Um, and then also, uh, oh my gosh, the person who does the original is Vampire Diaries. What's her face? Plek. Julie Plek on um, the CW as well. So those people originally still had to work their way up to getting any kind of backing and support, and even though they have this backing and support now, what the network brass says goes for the most part. That's why we have the whole, like, in the May and in the fall, all of the episodes where, like, people die. It's because they know that, like, this is when people are going to watch. But those people can't die unless the network supports that. It's always really frustrating to me when people have specific like unless a show does something kind of unexpected but in general there's a specific pattern that tv falls into and -hmm. because people tend to binge watch it i feel like they forgot that there are actually specific reasons why these things happen when they do like remember sweeps week Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like what's like what sweeps week was and that was always if a major character was going to die off or there was going to be like a major reveal of a new relationship or like a lesbian kiss on primetime television Mm-hmm. It was during Sweeps Week. Sweeps this Week that- always used to be a point of anxiety for any kind of queer person because either mm-hmm. you were going to get a romance or you are going to get dead. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, even now, TV Line has their beautiful uh, scorecard that they keep updated. And in the last three years, we've had the most deaths in, like, forever. Yeah. Yeah. But I think going off of that real quick, I do want to mention... I- it's, like, most of the time it's fans, but sometimes it's also because I think some showrunners, whether they mean to do it or not, also break the fourth wall. So then you've got things like Teen Wolf and the Steric Cookies, where he literally was like, if you guys send me cookies, I'll totally think about making Steric Cannon. So uh, plenty of people took him in good faith and made it happen. But had MTV or he actually wanted to make that happen and it made sense for the story, then maybe that would have been the canon ship, but it wasn't. So instead, this whole production company had to eat all these cookies, and everyone was pissed off at him. But I he think also that was an early, that. an earlier instance of when I think creators were starting to wade into social media mm-hmm. and did not realize how um, rabid, rabid yeah. fan bases could be and didn't realize, oh, you can't say that. Right. Because I'm sure to him it was just kind of an off-color, like, oh, yeah, sure. But he didn't realize, like, these fandoms are intense. And if you say that, they're going to take it at face value. I was going to say, with your talking to fandom, you have to assume that you're talking to, like, a 10-year-old autistic child, and I'm allowed to say that. Uh, Because they will take every single thing that comes out of your mouth so literally that you need to read your, your, your tweets as if you were telling this to a child. You know, like, when you tell kids, like, we can come back to Burger King tomorrow when it's open and it's not actually closed, and then the <laughs> next day that you drive by Burger King and the kid goes, it's open now, can we go? And you're like, what? And Because you don't remember that you just said this offhand thing. But the thing is, is that children take everything that you say completely literally, and, like, it's not that fandom is children, it's that... With a text format, vocal inflection doesn't come across, and neither does facial expression, so you have no way of knowing that the person is being somewhat facetious. Right. And, I mean, this mm-hmm. was in 2012. So this was, like, peak. People were starting to move to Twitter. And I think, okay, I don't know how active the Criminal Minds fandom is, but that was the show Jeff <laughs> Davis was on prior. So, like, I don't really know, like, if he was prepared. And, again, like, he was <laughs> doing people. But it's, it's one of those things where, like, it's not always the fans. Like, there are definitely situations where creators are also, you know, getting, wading into the mist a little bit more than they should, but 
it goes back to the whole conversation we're having, which is to say, like, there's the fourth wall is gone. And so because of that, there's no kind of, like, people aren't paying attention to the kind of shit they say or how they say it or who they say it to. I will say, uh, Jason Rothenberg on the 100, <laughs> this is an episode of someone literally <laughs> stepping in it mm-hmm. when he promised the Klex fans, I think you'll really like this. That's an example of, like, grade-A stupid. And we're not saying that stuff doesn't happen. But that's, mm-hmm. like, kind of 2% out of the other 98%. Mm-hmm. You know, and... I, thought my, I thought my opinion on that whole inch situation was going to change dramatically as time went on. But I still stand by the fact that he did intentionally mislead the audience. Mm-hmm. And he picked the worst possible audience to mislead in this particular way. Yeah, like I said, he's one of the 2% that really fucking stepped in it. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, and I think the real thing, is, the one thing I want to add to that too is like when you have showrunners who are known for stepping in it for other reasons, because there was also other shit going on behind the scenes on that set, it makes it really hard to like if there was going to ever be anything positive to come out of those situations, to take any of that seriously, because then you know, like, all this other crap is going on. Also, I looked real quick, just so we would all know, the cookies thing started on August 12th, or August 19th of 2012. So that's how long it's been. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, again, I can, Scott Davis, I can, I think that's his name, give him a bit of a break, because those were early days. But, you know, in, t- in the year of our internet 2018, <laughs> with the way fandoms are, like, you can't do that. Right. Yeah. I mean, the only other thing that I can think of comparably, and it, it wasn't even because of a cannon ship, I, the only thing I can think of is people will say, not, they don't really actually say Chuck, but you know what I mean, the whole, like, Subway sponsorship so we can make Chuck continue happening, which I think was slightly prior or it could have been at the same time because, oh, Chuck ended in 2012. So that would have been the thing to come before the cookies. Is they were like, Subway, save our show. And Subway kind of saved it because they put money into it. But that's a different discussion. But we always, we get to this save our show thing. I remember when Legend of the Seeker was canceled. And oh, I had friends show. in that show. It's like, we're taking out a full page ad in the New York Times. I'm like, just save your money. <laughs> Yeah. Also, that show wasn't even originally from the CW, so who are they even going to... You know what, it's fine. It's fine. But anyways, that's a throwback. But the point being is, like, with this fourth wall, I, I, it feels like fandom believes that they can kind of nail their list of demands to the door of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, Martin Luther style, and expect to have it just absolutely catered to, and then there's this huge blow up when they don't get their way. Right. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily trying to, like, oh, all fandom is bad, but I'm saying there is a serious problem with this in fandom as of right now, and nobody wants to talk about it. Well, and it's kind of one of those things where, like, the people who are the loudest, right? So mm-hmm. there are plenty of people in fandom who are really chill, and they're like, oh, damn, I wish my show was going to be saved, but they're not going to be screaming about it. Or, originally what we were talking about, they might not necessarily agree with an actor or an actress or a TV showrunner, but they're not going to be the ones to be like, hello, I curse you for not doing what I wanted, or whatever. And I guess it's my issue with this is that's fine and we shouldn't have to be babysitting but at some point like somebody else in that larger fandom needs to tell this little toxic nucleus to you know Mm -hmm. 
take a nap and sit the fuck down. See, and that's not is, happening. Is, see, the problem is, is that we can tell them to sit down and shut the fuck up, but they don't listen. Because, but, like, well, at least then you can see that the rest of the fandom is like, yeah, we're aware of this. But you see it in, like, especially the shipping fandoms, it's like they're ostriching. It's like, well, it's just a small part. The rest of us are great, and we're lovely, and we're innocent snowflakes. And I'm like, no. okay, but I don't even <laughs> see you telling the other bad part of your fandom off. Right. And then sometimes some of the, quote, bad, unquote, fandom <laughs> is run by the big name fans. And run is not necessarily the right word because there's not really like a hierarchy hierarchy. But Oh, no. The, run the, run is the correct word. But it like is exactly the people who have the most followers and people who are doing most of the like, here, here's the news about our favorite show. Like, I think about Supergirl comes to mind again. Sorry, Supergirl. I promise we're not totally just trying to bash on you guys. But Caramel fandom, like, there are a couple people who are really well-known, and those are the people who are the loudest. And because of that, everyone follows them. And it's just like, run free, ducklings. Don't follow the people who are going to be trash and make all of you look bad. Because then all the actors think y'all are, like, ridiculous human beings and don't want to engage with you in good faith, and I don't blame them. You are not a tribe, and you don't need a chief. You don't need a leader. You are not. You are not a revolution <laughs> of Bolshevik proportions, where you have an assigned leadership to lead you to victory. Like that's kind of what it starts to feel like. The reference to this podcast is a little bit all over the place, but I'm kind of into it. Um, yes, <laughs> Martin Luther Bolshevik Revolution. It's a great time. It's just it's frustrating because then the rest of the fans who aren't on this level get shouted out, and it's not fun anymore. And especially with shipping fandom, which, again, could take up another three episodes. Like, it's not, like, your capability to ship a couple is not all you are, and it shouldn't be all you are. And I think a lot of this goes back to, like, we wear our fandoms as, like, badges of pride. And, like, at the end of the day, they're all fictional characters. And, yes, they're important to us, but it's not... It's not who you are as a person. Like, me loving Leverage is not who I am as a person. Yeah, I was going to say, like, my undying love of Supergirl. Like, I'm so glad that my best friend is also into the show, because otherwise I'd probably just fall out of it because there's no way to engage with the fandom online. Right. Without, ex- like, in the, without existing in, in, in a, an environment where you can actually filter what you do and don't see and who you can and can't interact with. Right. Which, like... I, I'm kind of imagining, give it, like, another year or two, fandom will start making a movement back to sort of more intimate circles with... I, I bet you that there will be a pushback to forum-style fandom. Because, I hope so. Because this, this, this is hitting right? a breaking point. This is hitting a breaking point. Like, t- Tumblr is unusable at this point for a fandom... For, like, fandom stuff, because the tags are just useless. Yeah, well, and, no, I literally to, only use it for chips. <laughs> yeah, to, to illustrate this point, Sahar got to listen to me ranting like every day this week because you know Supergirl's done Elizabeth and I write about Supergirl I was like okay I want to maybe try and find a couple of gifts or something that I could use for a potential article mm-hmm. so I'm trying Good to luck. scroll the Supergirl tag and I can't go anywhere without any kind of shipping crap yeah like really really ridiculous shipping crap that I can't escape yeah, there's just no way to get rid of it. You can't blacklist it. You can't Tumblr saver it. It's just going to be there because it, it goes through all the filters. And I especially, just real quick, like, okay, fine. You don't like a ship, and that's totally, like, I there are plenty of ships I don't like, but I don't post in that tag my hate for it. 
Like, there's no kind of, like, Tumblr, like, there's no more etiquette around that stuff. Where I feel like in the past there was a little bit of that, where it was like, okay, you don't like the ship, talk about it all you want, but don't tag it in the ship And you sure as shit don't tweet hate to the actors. Right, because the actors have no choice. (laughs) I can tell you, I can tell you that the lack of civility probably has to do with the fact that the Air Quotes fandom leaders have been severely aged down as time goes on. Because, like, like the fact that somebody who was, like, I'm not going to say who they are, but there was a particular individual who was probably about, like, 17 or 18 years old who was one of the biggest hitters in the Klexa fandom. And this is the reason why I ejected myself out of it, because this particular person was into desperation kink, and this was flooding the Klexa tag. Yeah. And that's another thing, is I think that, like, with... With older people, like, we all have to be careful about who we're talking to because there's so many youths, like, like actual children, like, there are 12, 13, 14-year-olds who are in fandoms, and there's no... With social media, the fourth wall is gone, and so is the wall of remembering, oh, shit, that person I'm talking to is a grown-ass person with two children my age. Because that's also happening. Like, yes, mm-hmm. fandom, I think, as a whole, like, the leaders, quote-unquote, depending on the fandom, have aged down a little bit, but there are plenty of people, <laughs> Shadowhunters fandom, where there are 35- to 50-year-olds who, like spend their time being really obnoxious and I'm like, don't you have other things to do? Like, it should be about fun and it should be about enjoying the content, not everything else that we've been talking about the last few episodes, I feel like. Who did these people okay, make sorry. miserable? What before... is Desperation Kink? <laughs> so, uh, did you just ask what it is? Yes. Hurrah button. Okay, okay. Desperation kink is where you intentionally prevent somebody from from relieving themselves in the bathroom. Oh, Typically... no, 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 no. I don't want any more. No, no. Oh, no, no. Haram. Anyway. That is haram. So you can understand why in a fandom that is, is in a show that is aimed at the 18 to 24 crowd, or I'd say realistically 16 to 24. Right. And, you know... That like this is like and especially since it was one of the biggest like women loving women fandoms at the time, you could understand my inherent annoyance with this particular yeah. person. And they were also extremely combative. And eventually that was led to their downfall because eventually they, they went to bat for the wrong side and people were like, Oh, you're just an asshole, aren't you? Yeah. What is all hard because like Okay, real quick about the age thing. Like, obviously, like, people mature at different times, and, like, people understand things at different times. Like, that's fine. But also, like, if you're 18 or 17, like, yes, you're not 21, like, whatever, arbitrary numbers that we apply to age and maturity, but, like, you are grown enough to know better. And if you're not, then, like, like, that's a key issue with the whole, like, we have so many people of different ages talking to each other because what makes sense to one person doesn't make sense to another, and then you throw this all into the social media fourth wall breakage, and it just turns into hot chaos. It's, I'm okay, wondering... so, remember, I, I mentioned this before, that it's a thing with empathy, but, like, people who work in, in um, healthcare have this, but there's another version of empathy burnout that has to do with, like, your brain is only really wired to intimately care about so many people at once. Sure. Mm-hmm. And that's the, part of the reason why people who work, especially people who are like psychologists and stuff, burn out quite frequently is because you do have to sort of, you, there's like a, there's like a barrier between you and the person, but it's still like, in, it's an intimate situation. And right. so you, you have to do a lot of self care because eventually you burn out because you're just like, I just cannot care about one more person's stupid problems. No, I and, so, and I feel like that effect is really pronounced on the internet and it hasn't really been studied like, or it's very difficult to study. I haven't right. seen a lot of work done well, on it yet. Well, because you like... have a large group of people, and especially in minority <sighs> communities, they have 
they're more prone to certain struggles and they're all sharing it and it's like this tidal wave of crap not crap that it doesn't matter but you know crap the crappy situations well yeah. it becomes kind of like i mean again it goes back to our conversation about like like it's okay tell us an actor that you're really excited about the work they do and it's really <laughs> important to you and it's very meaningful is totally different than you kept me from attempting or whatever example you can put that we've seen actually happen with with creators and actors because they're not equipped for this or they probably wouldn't be actors. And so when you do stuff like that, like at the most extreme level, like it's unhealthy for everyone involved in that situation. And it's also like unsafe too, I feel like, because you just put all this information out there for the 30 seconds you're going to talk to them and then you leave and you feel like you just unburdened yourself which you did, but then now you've burdened this other person who has to go home and be like, holy shit, here's all the shit that I heard today. I always and tell people, when you when you emotionally unload, it's best to think about it as if you are physically throwing a sack of flour on somebody else's shoulders. So you need to make sure that that person is ready to grab that sack of flour or sack of potatoes, depending on how much baggage you're dumping at once, or, you know, sure. an entire suitcase. But you have to mentally imagine that you are physically passing a burden because it makes you more mindful of the fact that the emotional things that you say to people stick with them and bother them. Mm -hmm. Right. Corey, you were going to say something. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, I wonder if part of it is also generational. Like, Elizabeth and I, we grew Uh up with the advent of the internet, (laughs) and it was this kind of stranger danger, never put too much personal information out there. Because you never never knew who was, like, you know, quote-unquote a pedophile that was trolling for, you know, underage kids. That's what we grew up with. Because Facebook wasn't a thing. There was no concept of your online identity being tied to your actual person. Yeah, even now, I am, like, super paranoid about how much information I let go out online to where just anybody can see it. If it were not a humongous social faux pas for me to not have a Facebook, I would not have one. I set my Twitter to delete my tweets every two weeks, so I feel y'all, and I'm only 24. And I was incredibly lucky when I joined Tumblr, because I joined, like, a really niche set of comics people, and they were all super awesome, and, like, very, like, we're gonna protect all of the kids who are following us, because I was in 10th grade, so, I mean, I was a kid at that time, and that was really lucky for me, but there are so many people I know, and even my years of being on Tumblr, so many people, like, finding out that they were actually, like, really gross with a capital G, like, how that hurt other younger people who had gone to know them more like there's no way to really keep everyone safe so if we don't do it to, like keep ourselves safe and then also when we see younger people and it's not just younger people like anyone right like doing that the, the stranger danger bit like now that it's not really a thing i mean catfish has seven seasons like right. <laughs> we assume stranger danger wasn't necessarily a thing anymore and it still is it's just not exactly in the way we peddled it right Right. Because I think, again, you're throwing a ton of personal information about yourself into the digital void. And even if you're just like, oh, I'm just shit tweeting at actors. Right. Like the person who was like at this one, um, the one I referenced earlier about, well, you just Photoshop. I was like, okay, but your Twitter has some easily identifiable information and you just threw that out to the void. So if somebody finds this, they'll see that you're a raging dick. Right. Yeah. Like you have to be, you have to understand it's not just that, Oh, I'm giving personal details about how sad my life is or how happy I am. It's when you're being an asshole on the internet, the internet keeps your assholery. 
Right. Yeah. Everything's permanent. Understand that you being a fucking asshole on the internet is going to come back and bite you in the dick or whatever. Bite you in the ass someday because the internet does not forget and there is always a fucking tweet. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm only laughing because this is the loudest I've ever heard you get and it's just, of course, it would be this topic. <laughs> yeah. Am I wrong? No, no. you're not. I completely agree. <laughs> no, I completely yes, agree. I concur. <laughs> you being an asshole on the internet is going to stay out there just as long as you know, you putting whatever out there. And I know people are like, well, oh, I just make bots and blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, but you're still being an asshole. And why? You're choosing to be an asshole. Why? Can you explain to me why you're choosing to be an asshole and talking to this person that you really don't know just to try and be a dick? A lack of consequences. Right, because, okay, so if there were consequences, right, if every time someone tweeted something super insensitive or unacceptable to an actor, an actress, whatever that is, and there was some kind of, like, like, I don't know, their Twitter shut down, or... 20, 20, 24 hours, you know what, you know what I miss from forums, and I wish that Twitter was more apps to hand out, is 24-hour and 48-hour bans. Oh, my oh, gosh. Those were so Oh, my great. gosh. Oh, yes. what a time. Those cool-off times where you had to, it's, it's like sending them to the digital corner. Right. When I used to GM Ragnarok online, we literally had a jail that we would put people's characters in with a high-level boss monster. And so basically, if you stayed logged in, because you lost experience every time you died. So if you right. stayed logged in and continued to try to do what you were doing, um, you could, like, we had somebody who just let themselves lose 10 levels when continuing to rant, and then we perma-banned them. Because at oh. that point, we're like, clearly, this is not a deterrent. But it actually worked pretty well for most people, because it forced you to log off. And until the ban was over, so you could get out of that room and then resume your right. day. And it honestly was pretty effective. And we even had people who, you know, we would put in the room who would later apologize. Like, all right, I was being a dick. Sorry, guys. You know what? I'm I'm to the point where I would go even further. And I wish there was an algorithm that anytime you were an asshole to somebody, like, your phone would take your photo and plug it up on your Twitter account with your real name. So everybody would see that you're just an asshole. I don't. I don't like that because I'm uncomfortable with anything that involves doxing. I I don't necessarily like doxing, but I think if you're sending somebody, like, death threats, like, there should be some serious freaking consequences for that. Oh, uh, we're talking about, like, like really serious violations. Yeah, I'm talking about, like, the really serious. The one okay. where it's, like, a 24-hour timeout is not good enough. Well, no. and I think that's the thing. It's like, unfortunately, oh, if I had three wishes, I would totally use one wish on like social media fandom bullshit. Because it's like, like imagine if you said something shitty to a person and then your forehead was branded with that for 24 hours. So anytime you that left the house, work. people would know. <laughs> like stuff like that, like, oh, I wish there was a way to make it happen, which clearly it's impossible. But like, that's the kind of thing is if you had to actually remember that you did a thing and you hadn't just tweeted someone and then forgotten about it or like living off of the notifications from it, then people would be, I feel like half of this would be cut down. Yeah. Well, because the thing is, and, like, it's hard to admit, but a lot of people do most of what they do for the attention. Like, yeah. that, that's what social media is. It's not even a narcissism thing. It's, like, like where humans are social animals, our survival is hard-baked into being social. That's why there's so many disorders that are literally explaining how abnormal it is for somebody to not want to have a social circle. Right. So, like, the reason why people do this, why they do quippy, you know, it's also the re the popularity of dunking on people on Twitter. It's because, right. like, 
you like, feed off of the the notifications and the likes and everyone falling in love with you. Yeah, like it's like in that the recent Brooklyn Nine Nine episode where um where Holt gets a gets an Instagram for for Cheddar and he's like oh, Cheddar has ten, and he's like Cheddar has ten thousand followers and then he pauses and he goes it is an amazing feeling. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like I'm not going to deny that that is definitely a factor. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think that's partly why, for me, again, it goes back to, like, if someone likes me, or, like, likes my tweets at them, like, okay, the girl, the, the woman who plays um, Grace on Black Lightning is super awesome and loves liking people's tweets and stuff. Like, every time she does it, all of us are just like, oh, my gosh, she's amazing. Like, that feeling is what you should want, not, ha, 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 I have tweeted something mean, I am awesome. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> why? <laughs> I think it was funny that a lot of people, like, in... It's funny when it's actually challenged, like, I, I don't know, you guys probably don't know about this, but Todd Howard is, the director of Bethesda, is often called a coward, and he actually mm. did show up at E3 this year, and so a whole bunch of, someone posted on Twitter, is like, now you apologize to Mr. Howard, and a whole bunch of people are like, I'm sorry, Mr. Howard. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing, it's like, there there has to be... There has to be some, like, tangible, tangible real-life expression of what you have done in order for people to sort of snap out of the haze of what right. happens on the internet doesn't matter to real life. Because it actually does. We need to really work to change the perception of this. And people need to start treating it as if it's something that you would do in real life. Especially, you know, like, if you're interviewing for jobs, either change your Twitter to, pro to private or make sure that you are only posting the most generic, blandest content. Because people are going to Google that. Right. Well, uh, again, it also goes back to you and your Twitter brigade tweet, like, shitposting at creators and actors is not going to change the outcome of your show. Yeah, even even <clears throat> shit posting at the network press isn't going to affect the show because they don't really care what you think. There was a time when shit posting was associated exclusively with sort of the concept of venting, and mm. I feel like we need to sort of recon recontextualize it as venting because when it's done that way, it's absolutely hilarious, and a lot of the best things that fandom creates are literally making <laughs> fun of a show for something that was dumb. Like a lot of my favorite memes have been things like that. But, you know, we we need to we need to just reshape the way that we think about this because we've reached a mm -hmm. point where this is we've re we're reaching a point where this is untenable. Right. Yeah. With the phrase reaching critical mass, like ultimately at some point, like we're at a point where as... actors or creators are afraid to engage with a fandom. Right. And I yeah, think it... as shows get shorter and shorter, like there's going to be um, some kind of reckoning as far as the, like, nexus between the Save Our show and, like, shipping fandom coming together because shows literally do not go past five years anymore. Except the, like, SVUs of the world. Why on earth is this considered a bad thing? <laughs> That's a discussion for another day. Yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll add that to the topic pile oh my speaking of though we are starting to wrap up with time um, I yes. did want to say um, we have a new program on the fundamentals called fundamentals plus where you can help sponsor content and kind of help us keep the site going it's uh, $3 a month and you get access to a store discount as well as exclusive content by the editors um so if you guys 
are interested in that, uh, you can check out our website up in our top menu. We have a little link where you can register for it. Um, and one of the perks that comes from that is you get a shout out on the podcast of your choice. So if you click on FM Plus and register, you can tell us which of our podcasts you'd like a shout out on. And one of our first FM Plus members has requested that she gets a shout out on Ladies First. Woohoo! So thank Yay. you, Sarah Grace, for helping to support our content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Sarah. We hope Grace. you liked this episode. Yes. It was a little ranty, we, yeah. probably not the episode <laughs> you were <laughs> thinking of, but here we are. Um, so, I don't know. She she requested us, so I think she knew what she was getting, right? True. <laughs> so anyways, again, thank you, Sarah Grace, for helping support our site. And you can click on FM Plus up in our top menu if you would also like to become a Fandamentals Plus member. Um. We will be back in July. I will probably not be here for the latter month because I am vacationing. So just be prepared. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe to us on iTunes. And we have some other podcasts on our site as well. It's not just us. It's uh, The Fundamentalists, Unabashed Book Snobbery, Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics. So there's some other good podcasty stuff to check out. Um... If, you know, us and grand ranting isn't quite your thing. <laughs> isn't we that like it? most of our podcasts? Well, it's kind of a brand. We did a positive thing. Sahara and I did a positive thing about how we yes. had so much great uh, WW content. Yes. yes. We listed we, all of the shows that we could find that had some and talked yes. about them. It was great. We are capable yes. of being happy. <laughs> We it wouldn't is. do this if we didn't enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, we we do this because we care. And we yeah. want it to be better. <laughs> yes. Anyways, that's about all the time we have for today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, we love reading your comments and, you know, hearing feedback from you. So please feel free to let us know if you agree with us on this or if you, you know, have a point that we may not have brought up. So... I'm going to say goodbye. If these two want to say goodbye, now's the time. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. All right. Bye. We'll be back. <laughs> <laughs>